we have been, through this past year, looking at, um, considering a, a new topic of focusing on the Christ. Shouldn't be a new topic to us at all, but anyways, a new topic as far as sermon messages go. Um, but focusing on the Christ, and more specifically, the first segment of focusing on the Christ, we want to look at the shadow of Christ. Um, the, the inclinations that God was giving toward Messiah coming, and what that was going to be, and I've mentioned overwhelmingly that it shouldn't have been a total mystery to everybody that Christ was coming. Um, God gave a lot of indicators of his coming and what he would be like when he, when he was coming. And so we have started to consider those over the past months. We have seen um, Jesus Christ as the creator God, in which we've also seen him as not only the Yahweh of, of the creation, but we also saw him as Yahweh of Sabbath as well, the Yahweh Sabbath. Um, we saw him as a seed of woman, which means that he was true man. We saw him as the Redeemer, as Job declared, I know that my Redeemer lives and I shall see him face to face. What an exciting thing um, from the days between Noah and Abraham. Uh, we saw him as a seed of Abram, as a seed of Abraham. We've seen him as the Melchizedekian priest. We've seen him as the Lamb of God as we considered um, the, the offering up of Isaac in, um, that was there. We've seen him as the way, as the, the ladder of Jacob's ladder that he was going to be the way for us to enter into heaven. We saw him as the coming king, which being also as the seed of Judah there as well. We've seen him as our Passover lamb, that he would be the one through whom the blood was shed and, and they would, the, the death angel would pass over us as well. We've seen him as the light of the world when we considered the Shekhanah Chabod. Do you remember the Shekinah glory of God, the pillar of light by night and the pillar of cloud by day, and that um, Jesus, again, was pictured in that as well. We've seen him as manna, as the bread of life. We've also seen him as the living water. Last week, we began looking at the next segment. Um, normally, we've looked at each one of those as a one-week shot, considering both the practical application of the passage and the prophetical application of the passage. But I said last week, as we got into this one, it was just too big. The volume of information that I felt um, compelled to share was more than what um, I, I should uh, keep you here with. Um, I joke about spending a couple hours, and I wouldn't mind doing that, but I know that there's a point where I've got to say, no, I can't do that. We don't live in China. Um, but we began looking at Christ as being the mediator, looking at it from the Aaronic priesthood, um, when, when God chose um, Aaron and his sons to be those priests. And so last week we began looking at the uh, practical application of that passage um, in Exodus 28 and Leviticus as well, and considering the, the priesthood, of Aaron, and we considered the consecration of that office, and as we considered the consecration of that office, we, we considered his function in that he was to represent God to man, but also he was to represent man to God. So he was the, the mediator, if you would, between God and man at that point. Um, his garments, we, we considered his garments, that he had a specialized garments that he would be placed on. He had clothes that were important to be put on, and that we see the importance of those clothing when we get to this third phase, and that is his ordination. Because in the ordination process, he was to take off his old clothes, they were to be washed with water, then they were supposed to put on the new clothes, and then they were to be anointed with the blood um, on the right earlobe, remember, and the right thumb and the right big toe, and then they were to be anointed with oil. And that's all important as we come and we consider um, the, the priesthood of believers in a moment. But the second side of that, the office there, was the severity of the office. Because we saw then, in the book of Leviticus, soon after they were ordained, that Nadab and Abihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron, went into the tabernacle to offer up an offering, 
but an offering that was not declared by God. And so you can see by the pictures, it didn't turn out very well. That they went in and they offered up what, what we're told in the Word of God is profane fire. And that fire then came out of the altar and it consumed them both and they were dead. And Moses came to Aaron and, and said to Aaron, you need to hold your peace. This is exactly what God had said. That those who come to me must treat me as holy. That's exactly right. And so, God, um, at the beginning of each new dispensation, has declared his holiness to, to, to people, and he's held them accountable. Nadab and Abihu happened to be the two volunteers of the moment of that dispensation to show the holiness of God, that God would not be treated with contempt. As we considered then as well, we talked about in the New Testament, you had Ananias and Sapphira, who, you know, again, we don't know what they held back in their offering to God, but they declared that they were going to give what? All of it to God. And they held some of it back. And God held them accountable because the wages of sin is death. And so as they brought that offering to, to Peter, as at least Ananias did, Peter said to him, is this all you got from it? And Ananias says, oh, yeah, this is what we got from it. And he says, you're not lying to me, but you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And so then he fell down dead, and they dragged him out and um, buried him. And then his wife came in later, and, and he said to, his, to Ananias' wife, whose name was Sapphira, is this all that you received? And she says, yes, it is. That's all we got. And he says, you're not lying to me, but you're lying to God. Which is really an exciting thing about the Holy Spirit and God there as well, because he's, he uses them synonymously. And, and he says, and now the feet of those who have carried out your husband are coming to carry you out as well. And she falls down dead as well. And so we see that then as we go into the priesthood of the believers, and we consider the consecration of our office, and we consider what our duty or our function is. And from First uh, Peter chapter 2, we saw that, we are supposed to be offering up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. And secondly, we are to be declaring his praise to man. And so we have the same function, if you would. We represent God to man and man to God. As you pray, I don't know if you remember last week, as we talked about our prayers as being in the book of Revelation, we're told that they are the, the incense, that the bowls of incense, which are the prayer of the saints, which are being offered up unto God. And so as you pray, praise, worship God, and, and offer up, intercession on behalf of others, you are, in a sense, acting in that priesthood that God said that you were a royal priesthood. And so you have a, the tremendous privilege and honor and responsibility, as well, of representing God to man, but also of representing man to God. And so we have the second part there in First Peter 2, and that is to declare the praise of God to man. And so we go out and we represent God toward man and tell people about him. We have our garments as well. We are to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We are to be clothed with the, the armor of God. And then finally, we have our ordination as well. And you can go through those same processes where, in the, where we're told that we're supposed to put off our old man, the old clothes, if you would, of, of the old self of flesh. We are supposed to be washed with the water of the, the word. We're supposed to put on the, the new man, the new garments of Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to be, in doing that, we're supposed to be what? Cleansed with the the blood of Christ, anointed with the blood, and then the oil is always a picture of who? The Holy Spirit. And so we are sealed, we are anointed with the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 1. And so that same picture is used of us. Now today I want to go into this next phase, and that is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the severity of our office as well. Because just as it was severe for Nadab and Abihu, and it, and it, it was um, for his brothers, and I shared last week, could you imagine being um, the brothers of Nadab and Abihu, and it was your turn to offer the next offering? Yeah, 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 after you, after you, oh no, please, after you. I mean, you would go back to the book to make sure that you were doing everything what? Properly. 
It's amazing. Well, you know, we're told the same thing in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we, believers, he's talking to believers, well, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we can give an account for what we have done in the flesh. It's not the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, but it is the beam of seat of Christ. It is the throne of Christ by which we will stand before and we will give an account to Jesus Christ for what we have done with the talents, if you would, going back to his parables, that he has given to us. Are you hiding them in the ground? Jesus said, take that guy who's just hit him, who would not even put him into the bank and invest him, and throw him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'll let you meditate on that one for a while and, and consider that one. It's, but there's fear, you know. And so Paul says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, and again, we talked about it last week, that word for terror is the word for fear. If you go back, you use it into the Hebrew, yari, okay? And the word Lord, kyrios, is the same word that is used to translate or bring into the Greek Yahweh. And so I believe that this properly translated would be, therefore, knowing the fear of God, the fear of Yahweh. Just as we read about in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, and we can go on with all these fear of the Lord passages, but the fear of the Lord is a very important part. And I know we talk about the love of God, and love of God is important, but there's a balance that God, God is not only love, but God is holy, holy, holy. And he is a, he's a God who will also be the judge of the earth, um, who has given it all into Jesus Christ, and, and the dead, small and great, will one day stand before him. We will as a believer as well. And everything that we have uh, raised up, whether it is wood, hay, and stubble, it will be burned, and it will be lost. Those things which are of silver, gold, and precious stones, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it will remain. But we will give an account for everything that we've done in the flesh, everything we've done while we're here on the earth. And so there is a severity of our office as well. It is not to be treated profanely as Nadab and Abihu. And so my question to you last week was, if God would treat us as he did with Nadab and Abihu, would you be in fear of the fire? That's something to think about. You know, think about your events of this past week. You know, would there, be, would there have been a moment this week, or would there have been many moments this week, where the fire would have come, come out and, and lapped you up, you know? Today, we want to look at this prophetical application of the passage, and that is Christ being our, our mediator. First thing we want to look at is that he is the mediator of our salvation. Turn with me to, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this may be a no-brainer, um, if you would, old hat um, to many of you, and that's okay. I think it's important for us to be refreshed and reminded and to rejoice in the Lord once again, over and over again, what He has done for us. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to begin at verse 1. Um, verse 5 is the verse that we're going to look at, but just for context, is therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God in one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we're told that between God and man, ultimately there is one mediator for salvation. God desires all men to be saved, but as Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me, or through me. And so the fact is that God desires all men to be saved. God has a desire for all men to be saved. And that's why in 1 John chapter 2 we're told 
that Jesus Christ is not the propitiation for our sins only, but he's also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ died. Everybody on the face of the earth already has their sins potentially forgiven. Isn't that an incredible thing to think about? I mean, God's already forgave them. They just have to go to him to do what? To receive it. The booger is, if you would, is that we've got to do it on his terms. And we always like to do it on our terms. But Jesus, but God says, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. There is no other mediator. You can't go to Buddha. You can't go through Hinduism. You can't go through Judaism proper by itself. You can't go through Allah. You can't even uh, talk about Muhammad. It's only Jesus Christ alone. And so in Romans chapter 5, turn with me there. In Romans 5, beginning of verse 1, Romans 5, verse 1, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The picture there is the, um, back then they would, they would make, and we still do today in a sense, uh, large what they call breakwaters so that the, the, the turbulent waters of the Mediterranean Sea would not be able to come into the harbor and to, um, to mess up the, the, into the port and to mess up the boats. And so they would make these great breakwaters that would go out, and they would have a small access point for the boats to come into the harbor. That is the, the wording, and that's the picture of what Paul was describing at that moment, that through him we have access. So Jesus Christ is that, that place of transition from the turbulent waters of life into the peaceful presence of, of God. There is no other place. A boat can be on the water, and the boat can say, well, I don't want to go way over to the west side so I can enter into the port. I want to come in through the south because I'm on the south side. Can it get there? It can't get there. The boat may be on the north, and it says it's, it's, it's much shorter for me to, to come from the north side, but can it get there? It can't get there. Why? Because there is no access point there. Do you get it? Jesus Christ is the only mediator. He is the only access point. And so it is through him that we come to God and being justified by faith. Acts 4.12, you all know the verses, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is no other. I mean, I don't know, you know how people can look at this who call themselves believers, who call themselves Christians, and say that Jesus is just one of the ways. You know, yes, I believe that Jesus is the source of my salvation, but I, but I think that God will allow other people come from, from the other, other you know, lines of faith as well. I don't know how somebody can read these things and, and, and hold to that. There is what? No other name. You can't come by Muhammad. You can't come by Buddha. You can't come by, through um, uh, any of the, the Hindu names um, of gods that are there. It is only by Jesus Christ alone. And I'm mindful of what um, we shared earlier as well um, in Sunday school, 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, I'm concerned over you, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I'm concerned that someone may come in with another Jesus. And so we've got to be careful because there's really only one Jesus. Now, there's a lot of Jesuses out there, as we would say in Spanish. You know, there was the Jesus Alou. He played, he played baseball. I always like to ask people, did you know Jesus played baseball? You know, and... It was a different Jesus. You know, uh, clearly I'm not trusting in Jesus Alou for my salvation, even though his name was what? Jesus. Get it? So the name itself, Jesus, by itself, is not mystical. 
It's Jesus who was the Messiah who was born of the Virgin Mary, who was God incarnate in the flesh, who died on the cross for my sins, who was buried, and who was rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and who now dwells at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's my Jesus. Does that make sense? He is the one who is Yahweh incarnate. That's my Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, now you're going to read in that, I think it's verse 24, John 8, 24, you can check me out on this one. You're going to read, unless you believe that I am he, but you'll note if you have the literal ver- a literal version of the Bible, New, uh, King James, New King James, New American Standard, that the word he is in italicies, which means it's not there in the original. What Jesus says is, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that he is God, unless you believe he is Yahweh, you will die in your sins. So, he is the only mediator. As we saw as well in Hebrews chapter 10 in our our reading this morning, we read that every priest offers up continually all these sacrifices daily, never being able to sit. Because their sacrifices were only what? Temporary. they They were only for the moment. But the next time somebody sinned, what had to happen? A new sacrifice had to happen. And there was lots of people in Israel, which means that there was a lot of sin happening, wasn't there? And which means that there was a lot of sacrifices continually going on over and over and over again. I mean, if it was just me by myself in Israel, there'd be a whole lot of sacrifices going on over and over again. But we're told that when Jesus Christ came and offered himself for the sacrifice of everybody, he did what? He sat down. Because his sacrifice was once for all. And it's through him, we're told, at the end of that passage, it's through him and through his blood and through faith in him that we have access to the Father. He is our our mediator. He is our mediator to salvation. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So, as I look toward the need for salvation, I have to look to Jesus. But we're told in that, that Jesus Christ can be that mediator, he can be that intercessor, if you would, for salvation, because he lives forever, correct? And in that he lives forever, he is our intercessor forever. And so the second side of him being the mediator for me is not just positionally unto salvation, but it's also continually that he is the mediator of my, of my supplications as well. He's the mediator of supplications. That as I go to the Father, I go to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is really key for me sometimes. When, and now it's going to sound like I'm parsing it out the other way. I can sound very... Um, I normally would have said schizophrenic, but I understand that the modern terminology would be bipolar. So I, so I can sound very bipolar when I come to the triunity of God, saying you know, that Jesus is God, Jesus is God, he's Yahweh in the flesh, he's, he's God, he's God. And then I can turn around and I can split out the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and make them sound like what? i got three different gods. So this is the point, I'm going to split them out to three different gods here, right? And, um, and, and so in this, my true worship ultimately is, is to who? To God, but the Father. The Father is seeking true worshipers, right? But as I come to the Father to worship Him, how do I come to Him to worship Him? Through the Son, by the power of, and in the, the Spirit. And so, 
you have within the Godhead, though there is the full equality that we talked about again in Sunday school, Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus was equal with God. I mean, he is God. But yet there is this subordination that goes on in the Godhead as well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, you can blaspheme me, and it'll be forgiven you. But you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Ah, I can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That'll never be forgiven you. Kind of an interesting thing, isn't it, to, to split those out. And so it's the same way now that as in my supplication, as I come to God um, in prayer, that I've got to come to Him through Jesus Christ. And so we are told specifically different things that we're, we are told to come. First of all, I need to come in, in faith. Turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to ver- verse 18, so we have context. It says, Now in the morning, as he, that is Jesus, returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Turn with me to James 1. James 1. I'm going to begin in verse 2 for context. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or temptations, knowing that the trying and testing and tempting of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so, as I come to the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ being my mediator of my supplication, the first thing I'm told, first of all by Jesus Christ, and then confirmed as well in the rest of the New Testament, is that when I come, I must come in faith. I must come Believing. Believing what? That God will do it. That God will do it. That God, he says that you can say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. And it will be, it'll be done for you. What an amazing thought process. And so, Joshua, fighting the, 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 the Canaanite kings, the five kings that had attacked Gibeon, cries out for the, the sun to stand still and the moon to stand still. And what happens? It does. Elijah calls upon the rain to stop for three years. 
And what happens? It does. Now, I'm not saying that in your flesh you can just cry out whatever you want and really believe that it's going to happen and God's just going to do it. Because the second side of this is that we need to ask in Jesus' name, um, which is synonymous with his will. In the military, those of you who are in the military, and, and you would understand it otherwise anyway, but as I, being in the military, if I was the, the, the adjutant or the XO of the company commander or the battalion commander or the brigade commander, and, and he or she was out of town, then I would be, in a sense, in charge, yes? And so, as things would go on, I could sign orders, but I wouldn't sign them in my name. I would have at the bottom whose name? The commander's name. And I would sign them on behalf of, or in the name of, the commander. What would happen the following week if when the commander came back and he realized that I just signed um, a command that we were going to have a pizza party for the entire post at his expense? I may be relieved of my duties. <laughs> uh, yeah. It would probably be revoked. Um, I could see the, the commanding general of the post coming down to the brigade commander saying, um, <clears throat> did you sign this? You know, and the brigade commander saying what? Uh, no, Father, if you would, using the context here, that was not my will. I don't know where he got that from at all. And so with that in mind, turn with me to 1 John 5. Beginning of verse 13, we read, These things, John writes, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Turn to John chapter 14. Not the epistle of John, but the gospel of John. John chapter 14. Beginning of verse 12, Jesus declares, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Turn probably the page to chapter 15, verse 7. Context, I'm going to begin reading verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Drop down to verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed to you 
appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Go to chapter 16, verse 23. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, so that is what? Four times in a small context that Jesus said what? Ask in my name and what? I'll do it. The question is, do you believe it? First, do you believe it? Now, if you believe that you can ask anything according to his name, and he will give it to you, you have to answer the next questions, and that is, is what you're asking according to his name? Is it what he himself would have signed off on if he was asking the prayer for you? Because we're told, remember in Hebrews chapter 7, that he ever lives continually to make what? Intercession for us. And so as we're praying in his name, he is what? The intercessor. It's not Mary. It's not the other saints, as those in Catholicism would, would say. And so you pray to you know, the, the, the Hail Marys, or you pray to Christopher, you pray to Jude, and you, and you say the, the prayer of Jude and all these things. And if you're not familiar with those things, that they, they do. They, they pray to the different saints, and they pray to Mary, asking Mary, Mary to, to, to intercede on their behalf, and asking the saints to intercede on their behalf. And we're told, and the Word of God is very clear, that there is one intercessor, and that is Jesus Christ. And so if I'm going to ask Jesus to go before the Father and, and ask this on my behalf, I should make sure what? It's in conformance with what he'd ask himself. Now, there are certain things that I do know that are in conformance with the will of God, right? We've already read one of them this morning from, from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. What is the will of God? Not that we pray, but what? That all men would be saved. This is the will of, 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 for this is the will of God who desires all men to be saved. Saved. It's God's desire. It's God's will for all men to be saved. So, should I go out there and should I pray for people to be saved? 100%. Are you involved in that part of intercessory prayer? Are you going to Jesus in his name asking for the salvation of those you know who are lost? What about reconciliation of marriages? Do you think that's part of God's will? God hates divorce. That's exactly right. Should we be praying for the restoration of marriages? Do you think that it's in God's will for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church? I'm purposely quoting the scripture, ain't I? How often do you pray, men, that God would help you to be conformed to the image of Christ, that you could love your wife like Christ loved the church? Not like you want to love her, but like Christ loved the church. Are you praying for me that I would love Marcia? Marcia would love for many of you to be praying for me in that regard, okay? And so think about it. If we would take the time, remember being the priesthood, offering up those spiritual sacrifices, if we would go, be going to Christ, being the mediator of our supplication, with these requests that he really cares about, do you think that he would answer our prayers? We ought to be interceding for one another within this body, for the men to individually, specifically, to be loving their wives. Chris is walking back in, so I'm going to pick on you, Chris. Okay. Well, no, that's Okay. 
I ought to be praying for Chris. I can't tell you that I pray for Chris every day, but I ought to be praying that Chris would love Debbie like Christ of the church. Debbie, would you love him to really love you like Christ of the church? Of course you would. But I ought to be praying that Debbie would submit unto him like the church is supposed to submit unto Christ. Well, I won't ask you, Chris. Anyways, see, I'm a smart man. I won't get myself in trouble on that one. But I'd be praying, you ought to be praying for my wife. No, anyways. But seriously, is that, again, is that a request that, that Christ would honor? Yes. But so many times we want to go to him asking for a pink Cadillac. No, not really. I really don't want a pink Cadillac. But you understand what I'm saying, okay? We're asking for something that's what? It's extraneous. It really is of no eternal purpose. Now, I think there's an eternal purpose for a house for you guys as a source of what? Ministry. I know how, how many times God has used our home. In fact, tonight, care group's going to be at our house. To, that God has given me a home, not to be my castle, but to be used as a tool for ministry. God honors that. But when I go to him, again, I must go to him in what? Faith. Do you remember when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John? And, and, he, and what does he run into? He runs into this, this group of people ready to stone his disciples. You need to, you know, we don't necessarily read it that way, but you've got to get into the Hebrew mindset of what's going on here. Because okay? they were finding them to be what? False prophets. Okay? Because they brought this, this, this kid to, him, to them who was full of the demons, and they weren't able to cast them out. And so when Jesus comes down, he says, what's going on here? And they said, well, we brought this you know, young man, and, you know, and the disciples claim to do what? They claim to be able to do that. I mean, that's why they, they would bring him. You know, the disciples thought they could do this thing, you know? And so they couldn't do it. They ran up against a demon that they couldn't handle. You know, think about the seven sons of Sceva, who, who said, you know, you know, we try to cast them out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And he says, well, Paul, we know, Jesus, we know, but I don't know who you guys are. And that one demon wipes out seven guys, you know? And so here's the disciples. Same thing's happening to them in a sense, okay? And Jesus, oh, oh you lack of, you people lack of faith. Bring them to me. And immediately he cast the demon out of this young man. And so the, the disciples come to him later and say, why couldn't we do that? And he says to them, because you what? You lack faith. This kind only comes by prayer and fasting. So what's a source of faith? Spending time in prayer and fasting. That's exactly right. We don't do that, so we lack faith. And so therefore, when we go to prayer, we lack faith, not believing. And we don't get what we want because we're asking amiss, because we're asking so that it be applied to who? To ourselves, to our own flesh. That's from the book of James. You can read that later. But So you ask amiss, and when you ask, you ask amiss. So we're supposed to be asking in faith, but when we ask in faith, we're supposed to be asking for the things that Jesus himself would have signed his name to when we ask. That's why in the, the model prayer, if you would, those in, in Christendom call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the model prayer. When Jesus says, pray like this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing he says is what? God, you ought to be praised. Because you're what? Because you're holy. And your name is, is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I want to see your kingdom established here on the earth. Just like it is there. I want to see you glorified here as you are there. Give us this day our daily filet mignon. He didn't say that, did he? Our daily what? Our daily bread. I would probably ask, and I would probably get every lady's hands up here, if, if you have some sort of a pantry. You may not have a big room that you call pantry. Your pantry may be just a, a small little cupboard 
that you open up and has two or three shelves. But I imagine you have some kind of a, a storehouse of some kind of canned goods. That at, at home right now, if you really need it, you have food. You have a refrigerator that has a freezer compartment on it. And some of you, like us, you probably have a, another freezer sitting out in, a, in another room or wherever where you have more food. And you could probably go without to going to the store, other than for milk, I'm sure, but you could probably still survive without milk. You could, go, you could continue to live for probably a good month without going to the store. Is that true? I mean, you may not eat everything you want to eat. It may not be the, the well-balanced diet that we want to eat. As long as it has meat, I'm okay. And so, you know, donuts and meat. I saw, Michael, I saw that box you brought in. Is that for me? <laughs> and uh, anyways, man shall not live by Dunkin' Donuts alone. Anyways, but it's pretty close. The, but we could survive. We could survive. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, we haven't got a clue what that means. But live out in the wilderness like the Israelites did. And you'd understand what it's like to get up in the morning and go out and find manna on the ground for 40 years every day, except for Sabbath day, but you'd have twice as much on Friday, right? And God providing your what? Daily bread. Your sustenance for the day. And give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. Lord, I want to glorify your name. Protect me from the evil one. Protect me from the evil, which I think is really interesting. We have, and, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil, and then we have one in there. That's, that's implied. Evil one. Sometimes I think, I'm the evil one. And deliver me from the evil within me. Do you ever think about that way? Sometimes we think, deliver, us from me some, deliver me from Satan. But you know, James chapter 1 says, it's not, the devil made me do it, honey. I can't say that with Flip Wilson. Bob made me do it. It's the lust that's within me that, that carries me away. When I see this, this moment of temptation that's there, I grovel like a fish on a hook, and I just kind of go after it. And so deliver me from the evil one. Whether that's Satan himself, whether it's the world, whether it's an individual causing me to stumble, whether it happens to be my own flesh. For thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is how you're supposed to pray. Do you notice anywhere in there that Jesus is asking for nicer shoes? Father, I've only had this one pair of sandals for the last three years. <laughs> and they're brown. I really would like to have a blue pair to go with my talith, you know? I mean, the tzitzis are blue and white. It would really be nice to have a pair that's white and blue, you know? The Jerusalem Jaguars, now they have, you know, these, and I want to have shoes that match the Jerusalem Jaguars. They didn't have NFL football teams. So they didn't have to worry about the, you know, the, what, what over robe they were going to wear so that it matched their favorite colors. I mean, I'm sure Jesus wore black and gold, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. You'd like to think it was blue and silver, but that's okay. When we get to heaven, we're, I know there's many of us are going to be finding, trying to figure out which flag God's putting outside his house. Anyways. But he has his own flag. That's exactly right. I know, and there's many people from New Orleans who would like to say it's the saints. Anyways, so. Uh, so, but we have to ask in his name. Do you get it? So when we go to him, we have to ask in his name. But finally, we have to ask, ouch. 
in obedience. In obedience. Turn with me to 1 John again, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3. Verse 22 says, Whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments, and do those things which are what? Pleasing in His sight. Do you remember those, those spiritual sacrifices that we were supposed to be offering up? They were spiritual, spiritual sacrifices that were what? Acceptable in His sight. Spiritual sacrifices which were acceptable unto God. Acceptable in His sight. Jesus said, Matthew 7, that they're going to come to me, many in those days, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these spiritual sacrifices to you? I know, literally what he says is, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? And I'm going to say, depart from me, you son of lawlessness, for I didn't know you. What's the point? No, you didn't do them for me. You did them for Yourself. Many of us may be offering up, going back to that application from last week, those spiritual sacrifices. Or what we declare to be what? Spiritual sacrifices. The Pharisees did, didn't they? I mean, they walked around with their their robes and their phylacteries and and they, they did all these things openly, but Jesus said they were what? They got the reward, but they're whitewashed sepulchers. Outside they look like they're, they're wonderful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. And yes, he said, they've already got the rewards. And so the question for you and I is, what are we doing? Why are we doing? What's the motivations of my heart? And so in verse 22, he says then, whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Does anybody know what I want to key verse is? What's the I want to key verse? 2 Timothy 2.15. Okay? Anybody can start quoting it? Oh, wait. I know workmen are not ashamed, but you've got to start from the beginning. Be diligent or study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But notice what it says. Be diligent or study to show yourself approved unto God. Many of us study so we can show ourselves approved unto men. Listen, I've got to be careful of that so many times. Being on many masters, such as the greater condemnation, it's easy to try to wow people with knowledge. You can do that too. It's not, I mean, I, I can share all these things about myself because I know there's no sin that's overtaken me, but such is common to man. So I know if I'm struggling, you probably struggle at some point in that one too. Pride of life is a big thing to you too. Just like I shared last week about my pride. You know, I can do that because I know that you're prideful too. You just... Some of you just won't admit it. Um, you, need to, you need to admit it. Confession is good for the soul. You know, the, body, the Bible tells us that we should confess our sins to one another, confess our faults to one another, so we can pray for one another. Anyways, but I'm supposed to be praying in obedience. I'm supposed to be living an obedient life. And so in chapter 1 of, 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 of John as well, 1 John there, he says that if you say that you're in the light and you walk in darkness, you what? You lie and do not the truth. You know, if you say that you fellowship with God and you walk in darkness, you lie and do not the truth. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is the last verse we're going to look at. 1 Peter 3. This is an ouch for, for you guys. Not for me, for you, but for you guys. 
Yeah, every time you point your finger, there's what? Three, three pointing right back at you. That's exactly right. Husbands, likewise dwell with them, that is your wife, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, guys, pretend your wife's not here right now. We're in Canada. We're sitting on the side of the river. I'm going to ask you the question I ask those guys a lot of times. Is there, you having a struggle in your prayer life? Feels like you don't have prayers being answered? I can give you a good place to start. And that's the relationship with your wife. You're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And I guarantee you that God takes that seriously. My relationship with my wife is the very foundation and foremost testimony that I can give to the world of what Jesus Christ is like. If I treat my wife like trash, now I wish I could tell you that I'm perfect in that love, and I'm not. I, I want to. I desire to. I want to agapa her, her. And I don't know if I really do that. I, I'm probably a phileo plus, maybe a phileo somewhere in there anyways. Maybe agapa minus. I doubt it. I, I, I just, you know, I think sometimes when we think we're there, we've missed it so much. We're so full of ourselves, we just don't see it. But I want to agopato, and so people are saying, Ago, what's he talking about? Agopato is a selfless love that God has. Phileo love is that brotherly love. And so when, when Jesus came to Peter and he said to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you, Lord. He says, feed my sheep. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you, Lord. He says, feed my lambs. And he comes in the third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Now we miss it. We totally don't get it. Because there's, there's something going on behind the scenes. What literally it says, Jesus says, Peter, do you agopao me? Do you selflessly love me? And Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I've already proven that I don't selflessly love you. I denied you. So he says, feed my sheep. And the second time he comes and says, Peter, do you agopao me? Do you selflessly love me? Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. He says, feed my lambs. And the third time Jesus came to him and he says, Peter, do you just phileo me? And that's when he says, oh, God, you know all things. Lord, you know all things. You know I just follow you. He knows all things. He knows your heart. He's willing to accept you anyway. Now, this doesn't mean, talking in obedience then, doesn't mean that you have to be what? Perfect. But it means that you ought to want to be. You ought to have a desire to obedient to his voice. Jesus said, those who love him will obey his commands. If you don't obey his commands, you don't, you're proving that you don't what? You don't love him. My kids prove to me how much they honor me and love me by how much they respect what I ask them to do. Well, they can go do it, but when they have the attitude and the... <laughs> You know, the, the eye that mocks the father and the, valley, the ravens of the valley will pluck it out and stuff, you know? Then what are they saying to me? <laughs> you egghead, you don't really know what you're doing. I'm going to do it because I know I'm going to get tarred and feathered if I don't, but, <laughs> you know? But when they do things without me even asking, according to my will, if you would, do you get it? How beautiful it is and how, what an awesome thing it is to see. It's the same thing with my Abba in heaven. How he delights when his children 
will do those things that are according to his will and according to his desires. And then when they ask, when they come to him, they're not asking for frappuccinos and donuts all the time. Do you get it? They're asking for things that God wants, not what they want. And so, have you, first of all, come to the Father through Christ for your salvation? I mean, I can look out and say, okay, you all have. I don't know that. You don't honestly know that about me. You can assume by the fruits that you see in me that I have, but you don't know. God knows. But you know your own heart. I know my own heart. Have you come, ever come, honestly, through Christ alone for salvation? Do you believe that Jesus is the only mediator between God and men? What about your prayer life? Are you allowing Christ to mediate for you in everything that that contains? So therefore, are you asking in faith? Are you asking in his name according to his will? And are you asking in obedience? What are you going to do with the truth of God's word? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, you are an awesome God. I pray that you would be magnified in our lives. Lord, help us to honor you in all things that we do. You are holy. Holy, holy. And we are but sinful reflections saved by your grace. Lord, help us to yearn for the things that you yearn for. And help us to be a part of that spiritual war in praying Father, at all times, with all prayer and supplication for all the saints, that we would have boldness to proclaim the glories of your grace, that your kingdom would be expanded on the earth. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, not being conformed to the world, but rather being transformed and renewing our minds not glorying in our own pedigrees and our own pasts, but counting them as as rubbish and things thrown to the dogs that we would know you in the power of your resurrection and fellowship of your sufferings. Lord, that we would not walk in fear, but that we would walk in your joy. And Lord, that we would see your power. Your power being poured out through us in this community. Lord, that we would see people saved. We would see your kingdom expanded according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.